You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Morning. How many of you can speak a second language? Just hands up if you can speak a second language. Good effort. How many? Of you, keep your hands up if you can speak a third language, a fourth language. Oh, brother, you uh, you guys are incredible. I I have tried a number of different times to learn new languages. So from uh, year seven to year nine, I had three years of Indonesian classes at my school, and uh, the extent of my knowledge is uh, Nama Saya Jimmy, which I learned on the first day of class in Indonesian, which is, my name is Jimmy. And uh, when I was 18, I finished high school, and I went to Germany and Switzerland for three months, and I traveled around, and I, I picked up some conversational German, and by conversational, what I really mean is that I memorized this particular phrase, which was, Entschuldigung, mein Freund, uh, mein Deutscher ist nicht so gut, sprechen Sie English, which is, excuse me, my friend, my German is not very good, do you speak English? So you are all very incredible, particularly speak a second, third, or fourth language. I never became fluent. And what I'm reliably informed is that the, the process of becoming fluent in a language is, is kind of difficult at times. That there's this stage where you, you hear something in this new language, this second language that you're learning, and you have to translate it back into your first language, your heart language. Think about the word that you want to say in your first language, then translate it back into the second language, all of which takes time. It's tricky. But becoming fluent, that's when that process becomes so quick. You can think and feel and live in this new language. Your whole world can be filtered, not just in the language of your heart, the first language you had, but this new language. Well, I think that's exactly how God wants us to think about the gospel. That everything we do, our thinking, our feeling, our living, our doing is filtered through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We talk about the gospel a lot. We read from the gospels. We hear the words of Jesus. We love the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just an idea. This is not just a belief that we have that affects nothing. No, the the belief that Jesus lived for us, died for our sins, rose again, and is coming back to make all things new, that is the filter through which Christians must be seeing the world. And it's one of the reasons I love the book of Ephesians that we're going to be looking at this morning because Paul cannot shut up about the gospel. He just goes on and on and on. He's like a three-year-old who's just learnt a new idea. He just goes on about it, on about it, on about it. In, in chapter one, he says this, I, I had to cut it down, short this sermon goes for two hours and I just read the whole thing. He says in Ephesians 1, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins according to the riches of his grace. In chapter 2, he says this, which is a very uh, famous passage, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the age to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 3, he can't stop talking about it. He says, I pray that everyone may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, all the Christians who have ever lived, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's Jesus, 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 gospel, gospel, gospel. His Jesus per minute ratio is off the charts. He cannot stop talking about the gospel. And so it's really important then when he comes to chapter 4 and he starts off by saying, I therefore, let's see if this goes, I, therefore, what Paul has done is he's built this gospel foundation, this Jesus foundation. He said, I, I, I just, I've talked about the gospel so much. This idea that we believe, this thing that we hold dear to us, if that is our foundation, then that has implications. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have to transform us if we believe them, or, or maybe we don't actually believe them that deeply. If, if you all know that I'm a, I'm a massive Richmond Football Club supporter, that I watch every weekend, including yesterday, right? But if, if you saw that, you knew that about me, and then next week, you saw me, a picture of me floating around somewhere in the Collingwood cheer squad, draped with Collingwood scarves, something would be wrong. If, if you, know, you know, Jimmy, he, Jimmy loves Jesus, and then you find out on a Sunday, well, I'm not going to church, I'm actually going to a mosque, or I'm going to the Buddhist temple to give my praises and worships. Something is wrong. The idea that I'm... I'm I'm a supporter of the Richmond Football Club, has consequences. I, I buy the, the jersey and I go to their games and I support Richmond. The fact that I follow Jesus means I, I come to church and worship with those who love Jesus. Ideas have consequences. And what Paul is saying is if, if you know the gospel, if you know about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and his love for you, that therefore must be transforming our lives. We have this gospel foundation. Therefore, what does life look like when we filter everything through the gospel? Well, this is what Paul starts to say. He says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So Paul says, hey, if, if you know Jesus, that should have some kind of effect on our lives. And Paul's desire in the lives of the church he's writing to is that they would be humbly gently, kindly, there is this unity about them. And I'll be honest, I look at that and go, I want that. I want to be part of a humble, gentle, 
patient community that bears with each other as we follow Jesus together. I want to be part of a community that's unified around Jesus. Right? That's, that's the goal of what we're here to do, that we're humbly, gently, patiently following Jesus together. And yet I know that we don't do that perfectly. I know that oftentimes we aren't humble or patient or gentle or unified. And so Paul gives us some means. How, how do we get to that place where we are humble and gentle and patient and unified? He says, well, Jesus has given us gifts. Gifts to unify us and to help us to grow into that image. So he says this in verse 7. I'm just going to click until it works. Each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse 11, he says this, Salvador, I'm, uh, I'm just going to hand over to you. We go to verse 11. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Next slide. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. So he's saying, Jesus has given the church gifts to be used to help us, to unify us as we work towards that picture. And what that means is that there is no such thing as a sidelines Christian. Every single person here this morning, and those who are online, you are vitally needed. It is not true that there are only a, a few people who are needed to run a church service or to follow Jesus. Every single one of you is a gift that God has given to his people to be used to build up to this image so that we might be, uh, we might be unified in the faith and that we might know about the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Every single one of you is necessary to be here and to be part of what is going on. Otherwise, it's kind of like a Christmas morning. You imagine you've woken up early or been woken up early. You've gathered around the Christmas tree or whatever your family does. And you start to unwrap the presents until you, there's about half left. And you go, oh, we're actually going to leave those unwrapped. We're actually going to leave those wrapped. We're not, we're not going to open those up anymore. We're just going to leave them there, maybe for the rest of the year. Just, just there. Right? That would be insanity. Right? And so it is with the church. All of us have a gift, a role, a part to play in what is going on. You are a gift that Jesus has given the church so that we might be mature. And he goes on in verse 4 to say, hey, if... If we're not doing that, this is what happens. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. Just, just, just keep it on 14 for a second. He says, hey, if, if we're not maturing as Christians, this is what happens. We end up tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You might have even felt this yourself, that every new idea that comes around, you, you feel excited about that and you, you forget about Jesus, right? You, sometimes you're left and sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. It's, it's, 
going everywhere. It's like a puppy with a tennis ball, right? Wherever the tennis ball goes, the puppy goes. It's just all over the place. Or tossed around by people's trickery, people who are not about Jesus. We get taken in by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. He's like, hey, we want to be mature. We want to be deeply rooted, so deeply rooted in Jesus that we're not tossed around by the waves. We're not deceived by people's trickery. We know Jesus so deeply that we're not going to exchange him for something else. He says, okay, so, so what then? Well, this is Paul's advice to everyone who has a gift, which is every one of us. He says this in 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Can we just go back to 15 for a second? Paul's advice to, hey, every single one of you has gifts, which is everyone. If you, you want to help the body grow into that maturity, here's how you do it. Speak the truth in love. Now, I've heard that advice before, speak the truth in love. And often what it becomes is say harsh things and wrap them up in a bow of love. Right? Hey, I'm just, just speaking the truth in love, but I want you to know that your breath is horrendous. Right? Speaking the truth in love, I just want to tell you that your haircut is terrible. Speaking the truth in love, I just want you to know that your fashion sense died somewhere in the medieval ages. Right? That's, that's not what Paul is talking about at all. It's not saying harsh things with a kind bow around them. You see, in, in verse 21, if we, we go two more slides over, He says this, Surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. What Paul is saying is, if the truth is in Jesus, when he says speak the truth in love to each other, what he's saying really is speak Jesus to each other. It's Paul's shorthand for constantly be giving Jesus to each other. Just as a new language Right? We filter our thoughts and our feelings and our lives through it. Jesus has to become our language. We have to be giving each other Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, not just in a sermon, but in every aspect of our lives. We keep giving each other Jesus. We speak what is true about Jesus into the lives of each other. We speak what is true about Jesus into the area of politics and parenting. We speak what is true about Jesus into the areas of economics, education, and success. We speak what is true about Jesus into our emotional lives. And so often the church and Christians have missed this. So often we we hear each other's issues and problems and we give each other everything but Jesus. So we hear someone's having a financial problem and we give them budgeting techniques. Or we hear someone's having relational issues and we give them communication advice. How to have better conflict, how to resolve conflict well. We give someone who's struggling with education tutoring. Or someone who's struggling under the burden to be successful, we give them life hacks. 
someone who's struggling with their emotional life, we give them breathing techniques and meditation. And we don't give them Jesus. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. There is nothing wrong with breathing techniques or budgets. There is nothing wrong with life hacks or advice. There is nothing wrong with tutoring. It's just that if we don't give them Jesus, that's all we've given them. If we're not giving Jesus, we always give something else. And if we only give something else, that's what we lead people to trust in. What will keep my financial situation safe is this budget that I have instead of Jesus. What will hold my emotional life together is this breathing technique instead of Jesus. We desperately need Jesus in every area of our life. He is the one who makes us new. All these other things are helpful, but they're not Jesus. And so the question is, how do we keep speaking what is true about Jesus into the everyday stuff of our lives? Let me, let me give you an example. When, when Sarah and I were first married, we had very little money. We were living uh, week to week, paycheck to paycheck. And so every week was a stress on our finances. And the one thing of any value that I had was my bike. That was the one thing that I had that, that if, if, if worse came to worse, I could sell that and I could at least get us through a week. And so I was out riding uh, one day with a friend of mine, and what happened was the derailleur, which is the part on the back of the bike that changes all the gears, fell into the wheel and completely snapped off. And derailleurs are not cheap. And so I'm freaking out. I, I cannot replace this part. We, we do not have enough money to do this. And so I'm just sitting in our bed, completely silent, catastrophizing. Because I'm thinking, okay, well, if I, if I can't go and fix this part, well, I can't ride anymore. If I can't ride anymore, I'm not going to be very healthy. If I'm not healthy, then I'm going to get sick. And if I get sick, then I'm not going to be able to work. And if I'm not able to work, well, I'm not going to earn any money. If I don't have any money, well, we're going to lose this house. And if I lose this house, well, maybe Sarah will leave me, right? Just that's what catastrophizing does, right? And so I'm, I'm just sitting here having this internal like, explosion of my world and Sarah is, is looking at me, obvious that like, something major is going on. She's like, Jimmy, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I know. Yeah, the, the Christian bit. Great. Good. Got it. She's like, no, no, no. Tell me the gospel. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus uh, lived and died and rose again uh, for my sins um, and he's coming back. Okay, so you tell me. What was a bigger situation, a broken rear derailleur or your sin separating you from God? Well, obviously, my sin separating me from God. Okay, did Jesus have you then? Did God love you then? Was God in control of the situation then? Well, obviously. So if Jesus was in control of your situation then, do you think you can trust him with your rear derailleur? Well, obviously. Right? He's the one who made all things. I think he can have me with a broken bike part. Now, a broken rear derailleur is meaningless in the grand scheme of some of the things that we're facing. But we speak the truths about Jesus into the small, seemingly insignificant, everyday stuff of our lives so that when the big stuff comes, we are fluent 
in speaking what is true about Jesus. So when the big stuff comes, we're ready to talk about the gospel. We're ready to talk about Jesus and his love for us. We never shut up about the gospel. That's how the church matures. That all of us, all together, use our gifts and speak Jesus in love to each other constantly in every area of our life. Not dismissively, not, not hearing what each other is saying, but we, we hear and we pray and we go, I, I, there's this thing I know about Jesus that I think can be encouraging. And so that's what we're going to do over the next seven weeks. We're going to take these seven areas that we've looked at, that we've chosen, we've voted for. We're going to look at science and relationships. We're going to look at suffering and new life. We're going to look at mental health and spiritual disciplines and finance. And go, how does the truth of Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, how does that shape all of those areas of our life? How does that shape our approach to them, our experience of them? Because I think it changes everything. So here's my challenge for each of you. This week and every week over this series, I want you to have a go at speaking what is true about Jesus into the lives of those around you. After the service, we're going to head out there and we're going to talk to each other. And as we talk, you're going to hear about everyone's week. You're going to hear about their highlights and about their lowlights. You're going to hear what was great and what was tough. And as people are sharing with you, as you listen to them, I want you to think, what is something that is true about Jesus that I could give to this person to encourage them, to build them up so that they might trust in Jesus more? Now, the first time you do this, it is going to be super awkward because that's what happens every time you do something for the first time. But as we do it more and more and more, we become more and more fluent in speaking what is true about Jesus to each other. And we are built up into that image of Jesus. He is where we are headed. That is the shape of who we will become as we seek more and more of the truths of Jesus in our lives. And it might be eternity before we become just like him. But I guarantee that picture of a humble gentle, patient, unified church on about Jesus will only be helped, encouraged, and built up as we speak what is true about Jesus to one another. So I'm going to pray for us now that that will be true for us. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you so much that we can know him, that we can experience his love, that we can know the depths of his redemption, that we can know that our sins have been forgiven, that we can know that he has made a place for us with you forever. That once our sins were red like scarlet, but now have been washed white as snow. God, I pray that the more and more we meditate upon this, the more and more and more we will speak what is true about Jesus into each other's lives. That we will speak so highly about Jesus, about his death and his life and his resurrection, about his coming again, that we are so incredibly encouraged, that we are so incredibly built up, that we are so incredibly held by him who holds all things 
in place. God, we need your help. God, I pray for those who are not yet sure about the gospel. I pray this morning that as they talk and listen and hear and and have morning tea, that they might hear the gospel and receive it for the first time. I pray for those who are discouraged this morning. I pray that as they talk and listen and hear, that they might be built up in the gospel. God, I pray for those who are fearful, that they might be built up in the gospel. I pray that those who are confident in you might never stop talking about the beauty and grace in your life and death and resurrection. God, make us fluent in your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.